Oh, good morning, guys. Welcome to church. If you don't know me, uh, yeah, my name is Shane. I am Atlas's father, but I also have uh, the privilege of being one of the pastors here at LCC North Lakes. Uh, and this morning, I have the great privilege of, of continuing our series as we walk through the book of Malachi. Uh, this is week two. If you were here last week, Sam did a great job of, of kicking us off as we looked at kind of the first back and forth argument between God and his people. Uh, the book of Malachi is really broken up between these, these six arguments or these six divisions between God as he confronts the sin of Israel. And then Israel tries to respond back like, what are you talking about, God? We didn't do that. And so this morning, we're looking at an interesting one as God seems to be confronting their worship, how, how they are bringing sacrifices to him. And so what I want to do before we get into this text is I'll just ask that you would pray with me. And so, God, we thank you for your word this morning that is alive and active. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me, uh, that you would open our ears to hear what you have for us this morning, uh, that it wouldn't be me up here with my ideas speaking, that it would be your word going forth and changing hearts, that we might leave seeing you more clearly and being more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. How would you feel this morning if you, if you got to church, there was a sign on the door that said, church is cancelled, Kylum shut the doors. Like, how would that make you feel? You got to church and there's a sign on the door that said, church is cancelled, go home, Kylum shut the doors. Like, if we're honest with ourselves, how would we feel? Would we be upset? Like, oh, what? Like, what's going on? Now I've got to go find another church where I can worship God. Or maybe you'd be confused. You'd be like, ah, oh, this is a stitch up. I'm pretty sure Luke invited me to a dedication. Like, maybe you'd be confused. Or maybe you'd be relieved. You'd be like, well, tried to do the church thing. I guess church is cancelled. I'm going to the beach. Like, if we're honest with ourselves, how would we feel if we got to church this morning and there was a sign on the door that said, church is cancelled? What if we got to church this morning and there was a sign on the door that said, church is cancelled, God has shut the doors because he's not pleased with your worship? Like, how would you feel then? God has shut the doors, he's not pleased with your worship. Like, it's one thing if Kyle and I shut the doors of the church, it's another thing if God himself shuts the doors because he's not pleased with our worship. Like, that's crazy, right? But that seems to be what's happening here in this passage. As we walk through, we, we see that something is going on where God is desiring to shut the doors of the church. We need to ask us, like, what could that possibly be? Like, why would God want to shut? The, the temple was meant to be the place that hosted his presence, the place where he met with his people. And yet something has happened and God is desiring this. And so as we look at this passage today, I really want us to see three things. I want to see that there's a problem going on. I want to see also that there is a solution, there is a remedy to that problem, and then lastly, there is an invitation. And so firstly, the problem. Well, what, is the, what is the problem going on? Well, the problem was that Israel were actually coming to God and offering sacrifices that were polluted and blemished, sacrifices that, that weren't perfect. And so we might say, oh, what does it got to do with anything? Because we don't really understand what the sacrificial system was back then. But God had given his people very clear instruction of how he was to be worshipped, how sacrifices were to be brought before him. In fact, we read clearly in Deuteronomy 15, 21, it says this, But if, any, if, if it has any blemish, or if it is lame or blind, or has any serious blemish, whatever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord or your God. And yet Israel were coming to God, and they were sacrificing that which was lame, that which was blind. They were bringing God their leftovers. They were giving God half-hearted worship. They were going, like, why would we come to God and sacrifice healthy Hank when we can give him Larry the lame lamb? Like, why don't we just do that? Like, God understands. Let's just give him blind Billy Goat. Like, it's fine. It's going like, to get burnt anyway. 
Like, why, why would we give him our best? We can just give him our leftovers. In fact, you read, it actually goes on to say that they were offering sacrifices taken by violence. So, and this kind of either means that they were going and stealing someone else's animal and offering that to the Lord. Here's my offering, Lord. Or probably more accurate, they were bringing roadkill to God. They would drive into the temple and be like, oh, there's a dead animal, let's take that. And so their worship to the Lord was dead. They were bringing God their leftovers and dead sacrifices and dead worship. And God says, oh, that one would come and shut the doors, that it might kinder a fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I did, like, welcome to baby dedication sermon. Like, that's heavy, right? Like, what is going on? And I don't want us to read this and go, oh, well, this is all of us, because that's not how we should read this, but we should read this and ask, do we give God our all in worship? Do we treat worship like this? Does God get our best, or does he get our leftovers? Do we give God wholehearted worship, or just half-hearted worship? You see, the people were coming to God and they, they weren't giving God their best. They weren't worshipping God as he desires to be worshipped, as he requires to be worshipped. They were just worshipping them as He desired, as they desired. They thought, hey, God won't, God won't understand. He's fine. I'll just bring him our lame. Like, it's blind. It's, it's going to die anyway. Like they weren't worshipping God as he required, but as they desired. They were coming before God and not worshipping as he required to be worshipped as the Lord of hosts. They were coming and just worshipping him as they desired. Like it's fine. Like God understands. Like they were going through the motions of worship still, but their heart wasn't in the one who they were meant to be worshipping. And what's crazy is, is they go, hey, like I, I hope God will still bless us. Like I hope God will still show us favor. Like how do they have the audacity to go, even though we're giving God not what he requires of us, we still, yeah, you, I expect you to continue to bless me, God, continue to show me favor. Like it's, they were treating God as a genie. They were treating God more, more as like their homeboy than as the Lord of hosts. You know, like those shirts, Jesus is my homeboy. Bad category to put the Lord of hosts in. That's why Malachi over and over again in this book, more than any other book in the Bible, calls God the Lord of hosts. It literally means commander of heavenly armies. It's trying to remind the people of Israel, that's who God is. Millions and millions of angels are at his command. And you're coming to him and offering him dead worship. Like, like what is going on? And so they weren't giving God their best. And so Malachi said, hey, God has something to say. He said, oh, that someone will just come and shut the doors. And so church, we need to ask ourselves something. Does our worship honor the Lord? Do we seek to worship in a way that he requires, that glorifies his name? Or do we just offer half-hearted worship? Like, do we come in here this morning expecting to hear songs and sing songs that we want to sing, hear a sermon that just makes us feel good, and then talk to people that we want to talk to and then leave? Or do we come in here wanting to meet with God and his people to sing praises to his name and worship him and glorify him as he requires to be worshipped? Like, how is our heart towards worship? Are we worshipping God like this? Because this is an important question to ask. Because we don't want God to come in here and go, hey, how about you just shut the doors because how you're worshipping is not unto me. So the question we ask, like, they, they were seeking to please man in their worship and not please God. Their worship was, was around how can we please man, not how can we please God. And like this is tough because this passage is actually challenging the priests. It's challenging the leaders of the church. 
And like, do you know how easy it would be for me to get up in here on a day that I get to dedicate my son and preach this a beautiful message about blessing and family and generational prosperity? Or, or like every Sunday that I get up and preach, do you know how easy it would be just to come and preach this prosperity and God's favor upon you and that you're amazing, good work? And yet I am compelled by the word of God that all the scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching and proofing, correcting and training in righteousness. And that's, that's partly why we as a church, we desire to preach through books of the Bible. And so we can't just skip over parts that we don't like. Like, like if last year we preached about 17 weeks through the book of Exodus. And there were some parts in there I really wished we could skip. Somehow I landed on the week where I had to talk about the fact that a lady named Zipporah cut her son's foreskin off with a rock. Like, would have happily skipped that. Still don't know how it relates back to Jesus, but the point is, we need to come to worship and ask, are we doing this in a way that honors and glorifies the Lord as he requires? Or are we just worshiping to please man as we desire? It's a genuine question we need to ask ourselves. Do we come in here this morning seeking to worship God and be with his people? Or do we sit there and go, oh man, that, that worship could have been a bit better? And so probably it's a, it's a good uh, a good point to talk about what worship is, because if you didn't notice, nobody brought a lamb in here this morning to sacrifice, which I'm thankful for. And so this side of the cross, we no longer bring sacrifice to the temple. And so what does our worship look like? Like how do we worship? If we need to worship in a way that God requires, what does that look like? Well, Paul says in Romans 12, says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Church, our worship is no longer to come to church and offer uh, sacrifices on the altar, but actually to present our entire lives to God in sacrifice. To present our entire lives to Him in worship. Everything we do now is worship unto God. As you drive your kids to school, that is worship unto God. As you're brushing your teeth, as you're having a shower, as you're going to work. As you're sitting in traffic, it is all, every part of our life is now meant to be on the altar of God, as an offering. That's our worship. Do you give God your entire self? Like, does he have all of you, or, or just some of you? Does he get all of your time, all of your money, all your talents, or just, just some of it? Because, like, we're all worshiping something. We're all, we're all worshipping something. And yes, there, there is this thing that we call corporate gathered worship. This beautiful display of the body of Christ for the glory of God. And that seems to be what, what Malachi is speaking about here. But this side of the cross, our worship is all of our life for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it unto the glory of God. And so is that us? Is that our life? Because yeah, whether you're a Christian or not, you're worshipping something. And, and the easiest way to figure out what that is is just to look at where you spend your money, money, your time, and your talents. Like, where does the majority of your time and your money and your talents go? Because that, that's ultimately what you're worshipping. Because worship is just describing worth onto something. And so does God have all of your time? Does he have all of your money? Does he have all of you? Or does he just get kind of 30 minutes in the morning and maybe an hour on Sunday? Does he have all your money? Like, or do you just give him some money on those weeks where you don't have any big expenses? Does he have all of your talents? Does he have all of who you are for his glory? Because that is our worship. That is how we are to worship the Lord of hosts. 
Maybe you're in here and, and you're worshipping family. Maybe your worship is your career. Maybe you're, maybe you're worshipping status or, or comfort. Maybe you are a leader in here this morning and your worship is ministry. Like that's something we need to constantly wrestle with. Because it's easy for, for, for us to take this good thing and make it a God thing. And so we need to be careful because the only one worthy of our worship is God, is the Lord of hosts. Does God have all that we are? Because it seems that that's not what was happening back in the time of Israel. They had forgotten who God is. And so so the problem is that they were offering half-hearted, leftover, dead worship to God. But as we read this passage, we see that's just the surface level issue. Because God said what the actual issue was, was they did not fear his name. We read in verse 6, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts? The problem was Israel did not fear the Lord. They did not see God for who he was rightly. And when we, when we speak about fear here, we're not speaking about dread or terror. We're speaking about like a holy awe and reverence as you stare into the face of God and see his majesty and his glory and his wonder and his power and his beauty. Like that's the kind of fear we're talking about here. Israel had forgotten what God had done for them. They didn't fear the Lord because only when we fear God rightly can we offer him true worship. When we see God in all of his goodness and grace and power, can we then surrender our lives to him? And that is what God is challenging. Hey, where is my fear? Where is my fear? This, this reminds me of this quote in, in Narnia. Have anyone seen or read the books Narnia by C.S. Lewis? Uh, there's this, this cool moment in here where Susan, who's, who's the little girl, she's having a conversation with a guy named Mr. Beaver, which is a funny name. And, and, and she hears the name Aslan for the first time. And Aslan is this lion who's meant to represent God. And she hears the name Aslan and that he's a lion. And she says to Mr. Beaver, Oh, a lion? Is he quite safe? And Mr. Beaver looks at Susan and goes, Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. But he is good and he is the king. And that is how we need to come before God. Is he safe? No. But he is good. And he is the king. And this side of the cross, for those who he calls into his family, their safety and security forever. That's how we need to worship. With a holy fear of God. And, and the coolest thing about this is when we fear the Lord correctly, it actually frees us to fear anything else. Like we no longer need to fear anything else. We no longer need to fear man's opinions because we know what God says about us. And a, a cool way to illustrate this is that if there was a spider to crawl across this stand right now, like I hate spiders. If a spider crawled across this, I would throw this at Kyle straight away. Like I'm not messing with a spider. But if there was a spider to crawl across this stand and then a grizzly bear to break through that wall right now, I don't care about a spider anymore because I'm standing face to face with a grizzly bear. And so the fear of the spider is gone. And this is what happens when we see God for who he is. We see him in all his glory and majesty and might and power and goodness. And when we fear him correctly, we no longer fear anything else. Like like nothing can touch us. And as we look around the world, there seems to be everything but a fear of the Lord. 
That's why there seems to be so many wars and stress and anxiety on the rise. So much fear from every other corner. And God says, hey, the problem is not actually that your, your worship is half-hearted. The problem is you don't see me correctly. You do not fear me rightly. Because only when you fear me rightly can you worship me correctly. Church, our God is good, but he is a king. And he requires that we worship him rightly. That we offer all our lives to him like, that's our worship, every moment of who we are. Like, the, like why, why do some of us come in here this morning? Why do we come to church on Sunday mornings? Because, like, being in this building doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage doesn't make you a car. And so why, why do we come in here this morning? Is it just a tick a box? Or is it because we want to meet with God? Be with his people, worship him. Like, what a privilege that is to come together as a family and worship our good Father, who is also the Lord of hosts. Like, how, how cool is that? And so the problem was they didn't fear the Lord. So what's the solution? Like, what's the solution to this problem? Is it just to try harder at fearing the Lord? Is it to just do more until you do right? It seems to be what the world tells us to do. If you want to get something right, just keep practicing, keep practicing, do more until you do right. But the solution to this is not just to pull our bootstraps up and work harder at, at fearing the Lord, work harder at getting the, the worship right. Because the problem is a heart problem. And so the solution is not that we do more. The solution is that we see God and realize what he has already done. The solution to half-hearted worship is to look at the face of Jesus, is to see God in all of his beauty and grandeur and grace and goodness and allow that to change our hearts. To see him for who he truly is. That's the solution to this. Like no wonder this book that is about God calling out the disobedience and the sin of Israel begins with what? As we heard last week, the first two verses says to Israel, hey, that there's so much to come about you're not doing this right, you're not doing this right, you're not doing this right. But he begins it by saying, hey, Israel, I love you. Like I love you. I have loved you. I have always loved you. I will always love you. Why? Because just changing your actions isn't going to change anything unless we change our hearts. And this is why my my prayer for Atlas every single day is actually not that he would grow up and love the Lord. Like, yeah, I I desire that, obviously, more than anything. My prayer for Atlas is not that he would grow up and love the Lord. My prayer for Atlas is that he would grow up and know that the Lord loves him. That he would grow up and know more than anything that Jesus loves him. Like Jesus loves him. And he loves us. Unconditionally. But do you know how outrageous that is? That the Lord of hosts, the creator of the universe, loves you? Like that's the thing that changes the heart. That's the thing that melts the heart. Like what do we read? What, what, what brings us into repentance? The kindness of the Lord. And so that's why my prayer for Atlas more than anything, is that you'll grow up and know that every moment of every day, Jesus loves him, no matter what. And that is only possible because of what Christ has done on the cross. And then, yeah, absolutely, I'm going to pray that he would and then respond to that love and repentance and faith, and that he would grow up to be a man that, that seeks to live for the Lord and honor the Lord and worship God all the days of his life. Like, what, like parents in here, we get this. We don't work hard every day to force our kids to love us. Like, what do we do? We try and show them that no matter what they do, we're going to love you. Hey, we're going to love you. Why? Because they're our children. And this is what God is saying, because he knows that this is what we need. 
Like the solution to half-hearted worship is just be reminded of the love of God. Because sometimes like the good news of Christ's love becomes the old news of Christianity. But the good news of Christ's love for us becomes old news. Yeah, no, no, love God loves me. Oh, yeah, God loves you. Yeah, no, I know. It's written on my fridge. But, like we need to realize like how outrageous that actually is. That God loves us. And then lastly, this this invitation. This invitation from the Lord to his people. Because like, we know, right, that God doesn't need our worship. Like, he doesn't need our sacrifice. He's God. Like, that's why we read. He says that, hey, like, my name will be feared among the nations. Like, my name will be feared. Like, he doesn't need us, but he desires us, and he desires us to worship him. Because it's an invitation. It's an invitation. It has always been an invitation. What, what Israel had forgotten and what we seem to have gotten was the, the purpose of the sacrificial system in the first place. Which was what? That we would bring an animal that would be killed for the sins of the people that they might go and walk free. Worship has always been an invitation to life. It has always been an invitation to God and his presence. It's always been an invitation to, to vibrant joy and prosperity in the presence of God Almighty. Like, that's why God kicked up such a fuss. Yes, he's the God of the universe and worship can only be unto him. But his people are missing the whole point of the sacrificial system. It has always been an invitation to be in his presence, to be with the Lord. And they had so forgotten that. And so I wanted to remind his people, hey, like, calm back again. Do we know that worship, as we live our lives for God, is an invitation to life, like true life. Like we were created to be worshippers. Like we were created to worship the Lord. And so when we worship Him, right, when we live lives wholly pleasing to Him, when we do all things to the glory of God, we experience life and life to the full. Because that's how we've been created to live. And so it's reminding us, hey, there is an invitation here that you have missed. An invitation to life and His presence. And that's what He is calling us all to. And what, what I find crazy is we read that they say, what a weariness this is, and they snort at it. They had forgotten the whole point of worship in the first place. And they've grown weary and apathetic to God and the things of God. Church, do we find worship sometimes weary? Are we apathetic to God and the things of the Lord? And I'm not, I'm not speaking about being weary in the ministry. No, I'm talking about being weary in worshipping. Because I think it's okay to be weary in ministry. But it's not okay to be weary of ministry. Like it's okay to be weary as we try and fight back the sin in our life, fight back the flesh, seek to live wholeheartedly for the Lord, face oppositions from the outside. Like, yeah, that if you're going weary in that, then there's a beautiful invitation from our Savior to come all who are weary and heavy laden and I'm going to give you rest. But it's when our hearts start to become weary of the ministry. When our hearts start to become weary of worshipping, of serving the body of Christ, of living for God. That we need to yet again remind our hearts of who God is and what he has done. That we might see God and his beauty and his goodness. That, that we might pray that he would transform our hearts. That he might show us again his goodness, his, his might, his majesty. That we would see it as an invitation to come into life and life to the full. Do we find worship 
do we find living for the Lord weary? Or do we come together desiring to, to glorify God in all we do? See it as a true invitation. And then I'm going to finish with this. The band comes up. As a church, my desire is that we would glorify God in all we do. That we would lift him up. That all our praise would be unto him. Because as we do that, we see him for who he really is. The Lord of hosts. The, the, the powerful one on high. The one who sits on the throne. As, as we read in Daniel, the ancient of days. The alpha and the omega. The beginning and the end. But he's also our good father. He's also kind. And so what, what I find crazy, what I think is the craziest part of this passage is not actually that God says, I, I, I want to shut the doors of the temple. The craziest part of this passage, as we, we, we read twice, is they say, hey, my, my name will be great amongst the nations. My name will be feared amongst the nations. As the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great. And you read that and you go, how? Like, how is your name going to be great, Lord? Because it, like, your people were failing. Like, how is your name possibly going to be great? And what we see here is not a threat. My name will be great, but a promise. What we get here in, in this, my name will be great amongst the nation, is a promise that God would come and do what we couldn't do. That God would come and do what Israel could not do. We get a glimpse of the gospel. That Jesus would be the one, that God would send his son to be the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. That Jesus would become the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God, to be slain for the sins of his people. That what? Jesus might be our true invitation to life. That in Christ we might experience true and everlasting life. And that is my prayer for all. That is my prayer for the children that we've got to dedicate this morning. It's my prayer for every single person in this room that you would see the invitation of Christ. That his sacrifice on the cross is enough. In all of your fails, in all your shortcomings, in all your half-hearted worship, Jesus is enough. Like his grace is enough. His love is enough. His mercy is enough. It's new every morning for you. Jesus is the true invitation to life. And why will God's name be great amongst the nations? Not because of what Israel did, but because of his faithfulness to his people. Like this is the good news of the gospel. That God sent his son as a sacrifice. In the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of our sin, he sends his son to enter in, to live the life that we couldn't live. To be the sacrifice that we could never offer up. Why? So that we could go free. That we could walk away free. And enjoy true and everlasting life. Like how, how amazing is that? How outrageous is that? Let's not let the good news of Christ become the old news of Christianity. Let's continue to remind our hearts of the good news of the gospel that Christ died for us. He died for us since He was the sacrifice for everything. Like your sin is not greater than the blood of Christ. Your sin is not greater than the, gr- the grace of Christ. Nothing you can do can outweigh what Christ has done for you. And so as we come before him, are we apathetic towards worship? Do we give God our best? Do we seek to glorify him in all we do every moment of every day? Because if we don't, God is calling us back in just to see him rightly. Just to taste and see that the Lord is good.
that he is worthy. And my prayer is that you would see the invitation this morning. The invitation that living for him is actually an invitation to life and to freedom. That we would live life and life abundant as we live for God in his grace and in his mercy. And as we live lives offered up to the Lord. Let's give God our all. Why? Because he deserves it. But in that, we experience life and life in him. And let's allow our hearts to to remember and be reminded every moment of every day. God loves you. Like God, like he loves you. I'm going to keep saying that. Like he loves you. And for those of us who are weary just because of what's going on in our world, we need to be reminded that God, God loves those people overseas. God loves the people in our nations. God loves our family more than we do. God loves us. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your love. We thank you that not only are you the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who sits on the throne, the creator of the heaven and earth, you're also our good, good Father. And Lord, we thank you that when we seek you, we find you. When we pray to you, you incline your ear towards us. And God, my prayer this morning is that we would see you rightly, that we would fear you rightly, and in that, that would lead us to worship you freely, that we would no longer need to try and appease man, we're no longer to try and please man with the way that we worship, with the way that we live, but in all things, we would seek to glorify you. And God, ultimately, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross that you gave your son, that he might be killed so that we didn't have to, that our sins might be forgiven, and that we might walk in freedom and life and love forevermore. And it's your wonderful and holy name we pray. Amen.